Welcome back once again, Newark, to our Wednesday night live Bible study. We are glad that you are joining us once again. Tonight, we have the pleasure of having Brother Moss bring us our live Bible study tonight. All of this week and next week, we are discussing the theme of faith. And so we are glad that you can join us once again tonight. Brother Moss, as our typical format goes, is going to do our Bible study for about a 30-minute period. He's going to be talking. I'll let him get into what he's going to talk about, but it has to do with faith. And then after about a 30-minute period, we are going to go into our question time. And so at that point, we will continue our live broadcast until 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And if you are following along with us live, you are welcome to submit questions that have to relate to the Bible study and our discussion topic tonight. And we're going to feed them to Brother Moss. And, and with his age and wisdom and his years of pastoral experience, I'm sure that he can answer any biblical question you have <laughs> related to faith. <laughs> so we'll get to that in a few minutes. So without further ado, I'm going to go ahead and turn it over to Brother Moss. And Stephen and I are going to fade into the background. We will come back on a little later tonight when we get ready for the question portion. Good evening, everybody. It's uh, good to be with you, electronically at least, on this uh, fine Wednesday evening. I need to uh, mention that we may, I may have a little problem this evening and I don't want it to uh, bother you, but uh, last week I got something in my eye and I have uh, scratched the cornea in two places. So I had to make an emergency appointment with the doctor Monday. Um, it looks like everything is going to be all right, but uh, I may have to do more looking down than I would normally do. Uh, because of the lighting and, and uh, the eyes. I just had some uh, lubricating drops put in that eye. It's the left eye here. And uh, so maybe I can make it through all of this without too much difficulty. We want to take a, a quick look tonight at the uh, matter of faith and works. There seems to be a lot of uh, controversy through the centuries over these uh, two elements of, of, the, of the same thing, really. And uh, at any time you wish, you can put in questions this evening. Just put it uh, first word question and send it on in, and then we'll go from there. Now, I grew up in a religious tradition that conveyed the idea of whatever their theologians may have thought and taught, that uh, an intellectual acceptance of the fact that Jesus lived and died, was uh, buried and rose again, was the crucial factor of salvation. Believe this and you're saved. Early on, I was taught scriptures uh, such as John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Accompanying that was Acts 16, verse 30 and 31, uh, 
referencing the Philippian jailer, that uh, he brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved and thy house. Great and true as these scriptures are, they don't tell the whole story. I've compared it to, to saying that to drive uh, to California, you need to have a refined petroleum product in your tank, and that's true. But such a statement uh, presupposes and, and uh, does not elaborate on the, an operable vehicle uh, with oil and tires, seats and a drivetrain and some sort of steering mechanism. Neither does such a declaration specifically take into account our highway system with its uh, bridges and signs, nor the accepted set of driving rules that are much the same from coast to coast. Even some kinds of uh, refined petroleum products wouldn't be appropriate in the motor of the car. Some things derived from petroleum are, uh, well, napalm. Now that'd give you a bang. Uh, paraffin wax uh, could light things up, but just barely. There's asphalt, which you should be driving on and not trying to burn through your cylinders. Uh, also kerosene, butane, oh, and yes, gasoline is derived from petroleum. So uh, the major point of consideration is, what does believe mean? Can we identify faith? I hope that by now you're, you're getting a glimmer of, from the messages you've been hearing that there are indeed certain identifiable characteristics that accompany what the Bible calls faith or belief. What manifests itself as faith in the life of a believer is not just intellectual assent to a set of historical facts. Let me, let me give you an example of what I mean. Now this will sound familiar. In the days of the Romans, there was a, a man who in his maturity caused a stir everywhere he went. After a while, he came to the attention of some leading men who feared for their positions. After a while, they found a close associate of his who was willing to betray this man. He arranged with these leaders to get the man in a vulnerable position. And when the time was right, they struck. And this man was murdered at the hands of Romans. I believe this, but it has absolutely no bearing on how I live or on my day-to-day -day decisions. You see, the murder that I've just described happened on March the 15th, 44 BC. The close associate turned traitor was Brutus and the victim was Julius Caesar. I can believe the story of Caesar. 
I can believe the story of Jesus. But if my belief is only an intellectual matter, then neither story has effect on my life that's greater than the other one. After many years of uh, Bible study and consideration, I've come up with a definition of faith that at least works for me. It's based in large part on the evidence before us in Hebrews chapter 11. My definition is that faith is believing in and acting on the revealed will of God. Let's look a little closer at this. First, faith does involve believing, but not believing just whatever strikes our fancy. To be faith, our, our belief must be firmly rooted in the word and the will of God. As one of my mentors said, thank God I realized that not every thought that goes through my head is from God. Over the years, I've heard many people being encouraged to just have faith for something that was a human desire instead of a promise from God. I think this was very well illustrated by Kendall last night when his supposed faith failed to protect him from a bellyache after too much junk food. Over the years, I've heard and seen a lot of foolishness labeled as faith. <coughs> so it's not enough just to believe. We must believe the right thing. Faith is believing what God said. But that alone doesn't go far enough. Faith will always act on what it believes. James clearly stated that faith without works is dead or as could be rephrased, uh, inactive belief is not really faith according to Hebrews 11. In Hebrews 11, summarizing nearly four thousand years of believing God, faith is always active. It always did something. Pardon me. <clears throat> now my memory rings with the arguments from the days of my youth. I heard things such as salvation is not by works, but by faith. And another one was no works of any kind are necessary to be saved. We only need to believe. And those who made these arguments to me, well, they supposed that they knew what the Bible said and that they understood what it meant. Most of them back there used the King James Version and based their doctrine, whether they knew it or not, on Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, which reads, for by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. 
Now, these verses do not say what my teachers thought they said. They needed to go back and do a slow read. We're not saved by faith. We're saved by grace, by the grace of God. Faith is the pipeline delivering the powerful grace of God to forgive us and lift us from our fallen condition. If it were our faith, our belief, our intellectual prowess to grasp the imponderable, then that would make salvation as dependent on us as would the works that they railed against. Faith opens an avenue to God's grace does not save. As I've already discussed, faith must be based on God's word. Any other belief builds a road in the wrong direction. Nothing lies out there but desert. Even the measure of faith that we have is not a function of our own intellect, but it comes to us as a gift from on high. <coughs> Verse 9 is when my instructors got the idea that one could get saved and sit down. And that no further effort or change was needed. In their minds, no works, nothing we could do would have any effect on our eternal destiny. At... Uh, they just thought it, it was all settled once you had believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. At one point, that kind of conjured up in my mind the, the picture of someone who had changed his mind and was then being dragged kicking and screaming into the pearly gates. One of the problems of interpretation was that they seemed to have forgotten what Paul's ministry actually entailed. In reaching the Gentiles, Paul had to resist the Judaizers who taught that one must first become a Jew and keep the law before becoming a Christian. There are other times when Paul mentioned the deeds of the law, Romans 3, 20 and 28, and the works of the law, also in Romans chapter 9 and verse 32 and Galatians 2, 16, and again in Galatians chapter 3, verses 2 and 10. But looking at the totality of Paul's ministry, it's easy to see that in Ephesians 2, 9, he had elided or left out part of the phrase, but is still referring to the ceremonies and requirements of the Mosaic law. Paul's teachings on this subject might be summarized by Galatians 3 and 11. No man is justified by the law in the sight of God. It is evident for, quoting from the Old Testament, the just shall live by faith. Now, this extremely busy man, 
had no problem with exceedingly hard work in the vineyard of the Lord, but became very upset with the lack of performance by John Mark in Acts 13. It was not a matter of salvation, but of obedience to the command of God. The Mosaic law was a construct, a 1,500-year-long temporary measure to guide Israel until the fullness of time came and Jesus appeared on the scene. Galatians 3, 24 and 25 says, from the New Living Translation, let me put it another way. The law was our guardian until Christ came. It protected us and we, until we could be made right with God through faith. And now that the way of faith has come, we no longer need the law as our guardian. For a while, they needed something to protect them. In fact, the law gave security against falling prey to, to false gods and, and their ways of worship. It guarded and provided proof of the bloodline of the promised Messiah, the Redeemer. It provided a framework for building a lifestyle pleasing to God. The problem came when the construction of God's plan was finished and a certain group, these Judaizers that I spoke of, resisted removing the scaffolding. Blueprints, folks, can be put in storage once the ribbon cutting ceremony is complete. The works of the law from the Torah, while of use in their time, did not save even them. The work of faith is a substantially different matter from the works of the law. These works also do not save us. They do not produce salvation. Salvation produces them. I'm talking about the works of faith. Don't produce salvation, but because we are right with God, we do these works of faith because we believe him, we obey him. Uh, Noah had already found grace in the eyes of the Lord before he picked up a saw or a hammer for art building. Israel was by the time they got to need it, already out of Egypt when they crossed the Red Sea. Rahab had already decided which way she wanted to go before the spies showed up. Daniel had prayed daily for thousands of times before he faced the lions. they did not get because they already had. These actions did not get them salvation, deliverance. They already had it. 
Paul did elevate the works of faith in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 3, and in 2 Thessalonians 1 and 11. Clearly, Paul made a distinction between the works of the law and the works of faith. He and James were not in the conflict of faith and works that later generations have supposed they were. James presented some very bold rhetorical questions in the summation of points of his discourse on faith and works. In James chapter 2 and verse 21, he asked the question, was not Abraham our father justified by faith? No, justified by works, which epitomized his faith. And then in chapter 2, verse 25, he asked, was not Rahab the harlot justified by works? As with many other things, it's, it's not necessary to understand all about it to get God's benefits. You know, I don't understand everything there is to know about electricity and about lighting but I certainly don't plan to sit in the dark until I have everything exactly right. I'll gladly confess that there are way more things about faith and works, both kinds, and salvation that I don't fully understand. Way more of those than those that I even have a glimmering about how they work. But let me sum this up with a, a little brain teaser to think about in relation to our subject of faith and works. No right answers, no wrong answers. There'll be no tests and there's not a prize, no, no uh, Amazon card for coming up with this. But uh, from Hebrews chapter 11, verse seven, I'll read it first in the, the King James Version. By faith, Noah, being warned of God of things not yet seen, or seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. Now, the New Living Translation takes that same verse and, and says it this way. It was by faith that Noah built a large boat to save his family from the flood. He obeyed God who warned him about things that had never happened before. By his faith, Noah condemned the rest of the world and he received the righteousness that comes by faith. Now let's look at some elements here. God spoke a plan to Noah. So that's the revealed will of God. Noah undertook to follow God's plan, which uh, is the believing and acting upon that revealed will of God. After a hundred years or so of obedience, Noah obeyed again, more faith or a continuation of faith, by entering the ark, as God commanded him. Then the flood came, bringing at last the thing 
that was not yet seen, but promised by God is, is mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11, verse one, in the early definition of faith there. And it destroyed the uh, civilization that then was. So my questions, did Noah's work on the building of the ark save him? Another question, in what realm, physical or spiritual, was his obedience important? Was it important that he obey because of the spirit or because of the physical, the actual construction of the ark? And then to cap this whole thing off, how does your answer to the previous two questions fit in with 1 Peter 3 and chapter 20, or verse 20, which tw tells us that eight souls, Noah's family, were saved by water. We always thought the ark saved them. But scripture says they were saved by water. Again, just things to think about. Uh, we, I, I think it's plain. We don't have all the answers. But we do know that we need to obey what God directs us to do. The works of the law will not save. But the pattern of Hebrews 11 Faith is always busy, lets us know that idleness in the field of the world is not the will of God. Now, I'm fixing to close out, so if you've got questions, you might want to start putting them in. But let me close with a, a word from James, an ultimately practical and useful guide to Christian living. James 2.20, uh, he is leading into this verse with a, a comment on the previous one that says, the devil believes there's one God, but it's not doing him any good. He's got some correct belief, but he's not acting on it. So you could believe the right thing but you could miss being with the Lord by what, 15, 18 inches, when it's merely a head belief and not something that has changed your heart and made you want to do something about it. But verse 20 starts out, how foolish. Can't you see that faith without good deeds, this is from the Living New, Trans New Living Translation, that faith without good deeds is useless. Don't you remember that our ancestor Abraham was shown to be right with God by his actions when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see, his faith and his actions worked together. His actions made his faith complete.
There's not a contest. There's not a conflict. Faith will, will cause things to happen. No, not the ceremonies and the offerings and, and just the ritual. That's not it. That's what Paul was speaking against. He wasn't speaking against the fact that that when we really believe God like God wants us to believe him, he will do something. We will get involved. This is not a get saved and sit down proposition. Could we pray? Lord, help us. We are broken creatures in a world we broke. We are so often dull and so soon spiritually lazy. We so often fuss and falter over things that we should just be doing. And this world presents us with so many contradictory things to believe. So-called science runs head on into itself when we need its surety the most. Most politicians seem to delight in dividing the body politic that's quite eager to participate in the, in the fracture. The me generation never grew up and has led much of its progeny into perpetual immaturity. Lord, help us. May tears of repentance wash the dust of the world from our eyes, that we might clearly perceive the crumbling walls of time about us. Clear our ears of the racket of today so we can hear your distinct directions to tomorrow. Work our hearts over to bypass the selfishness that causes us to argue with you over every tiny detail instead of helping those in need near and far. Empty our hands of the busy work of day to daying that we might participate in the harvest right before us. Lord, help us. Enlighten our minds that we might have knowledge and understanding of your word. Open our perceptions that we could clearly know what to believe and when your disciples ask in Luke 17, Lord, increase our faith, you let them know that they had enough faith, and we do too. Help us apply our faith, increase our desire for works of faith. Help us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you, and let's see if we have any questions and how long it takes for you to stump me. <laughs> All right. Well, if you have not noticed in the chat, we have reached our question time. So if you have questions tonight, now is your chance to submit them. Anything you got in regards to faith, as we said in the chat, we're blessed tonight to have a retired pastor and a minister with multiple decades of experience. So all of your burning faith questions, now's the time to submit them. So I do have a few to get you started, Brother Roy Moss. So the first one I've got for you says, do you think that people can do faithful works 
but not actually be faithful themselves on the inside. Oh, definitely. Definitely. They, I, I've, I've known people in our day mm -hmm. who have done marvelous things. They've, they've made great sacrifices. But later it, it came out that they themselves were not living a life that was appropriate to what the scriptures teach us to be doing. Um, I, I don't want to give you illustrations <clears throat> because someone might be able to, to piece together bits and pieces to, to discover who I was referring to, but uh, this is not an uncommon situation in a lot of, of people's lives that they, uh, they do good things, but they themselves are not what they ought to be. So you would agree that it's possible for someone to do maybe what we would call faithful works. Yes. But yet still not have that faith within themselves. That it, safe faith. It, it, it's, it's possible it, because there we are, we are almost back to the works of the law, going mm -hmm. through the motions without the faith to back it up. There, there were many people in the Old Testament who were, and in the new, in the, the gospels, the, I think Jesus called them Pharisees, who were very, very careful to do things right, but their hearts were not right. Mm -hmm. And Jesus even commended them for their works. Oh, definitely. In, in right. fact, he told the people, do what they tell you to do. Just don't live like they're living. Right, right. Well, that's a great answer to that question. Let me give you another one. It says, one of my friends in the past couple of days has asked me what my opinion is on the matter of whether or not baptism is a work. Since we are saved by, they put works, I'm pretty sure they mean faith. Since we're saved by faith and baptism is part of salvation, does that mean that it's not a work since you have to be saved in order to have works? This is a classic Faith versus works question, and depending on who you speak to and what their faith background is, i.e. whether they're Pentecostal or Baptist or Methodist or Lutheran or Catholic or fill-in-the-blank denomination within Christianity, their answer is probably going to vary on this one. So it's, I think it's a great question. Do you, What do we do with baptism? Scripture clearly tells us that it's part of the salvation process, but is it a work? When people generally ask about works, they are going back to that passage in Ephesians where Paul, as I use the term, elided or left out part of it. He, in other places, he talked about works of the law, defining it specifically to what he was fighting all of his ministry, the Judaizers and their doctrine. So, People tend to anything they don't want to do, anything they don't want to believe, they tend to put it in that category. It's a work, therefore it's not necessary. Therefore, uh, we we are should not be required. I know of I know of a church where it, according to their teaching, you can 
without baptism go to heaven, but without baptism, you cannot be a member of their church. Uh, the thing that we look at is that, uh, and I could get this to another place and probably will before I get through here, but what God commands us to do, we should do it without a lot of, uh, what did I just pray here, fussing and fighting over every little detail and mm -hmm. just believe God enough to do what he told us to do and leave the definitions to God. If he said, do it, do it. Now, there are a lot of theological positions we could take and scriptures we could use to prove the necessity of baptism and the, the salvific uh, effort that or uh, ability that is in it. But, but the thing is, God said, do it. Be baptized in Jesus' name. Multiple times in the scriptures we're told that. Whether it's works or whether it's not, God said, do it. The thing we ought to do is just obey God. Uh, but no, it is not a work of the law. It is not the kind of work that Paul was speaking against. Another question, or do they need more on that one? No, thank you. That's certainly helpful. Let's go to the next one. It says, is there ever a time when we have enough faith or actions? Enough faith for actions? It just says, is there ever a time when we have enough faith slash actions? So this person's probably associating faith with action because you talked about how faith is always, always found. Right. And I certainly, if you missed that, that was a golden statement earlier tonight when he pointed out that all throughout scripture, faith is always found with action. Nowhere in scripture do we see faith as a mental exercise. It is always described with some sort of action. So is there ever a time in our life when we have enough faith? And that's probably why this person put faith slash action. Uh, when we do what God says to do, that's enough faith. When we have obeyed him, that's enough faith for that time. Uh, many years ago, I, I was directed by a, a vision in the night to go to Bartlesville, Oklahoma, to build a church. Uh, I went, spent 46 years there. Mm -hmm. um, and I'll, I'll be honest with you, I had absolutely humanly no business going there. I did not know it. I had had the Holy Ghost less than four years when I crossed the city limits of Bartlesville. I had no money. I had, well, two little better than, uh, let's see, it was just under $300, I believe. Uh, I had no job, no, no connections, but God said go. And it really wasn't dependent on how much I had or how much I thought it was good or how much I figured I could do. I just needed to obey God. And if I obeyed God, that was enough 
faith. Thank you. Next question. When our faith is challenged, whether that's by our own doing or our health issues or some environmental thing that's happening around us, what is the best way, in your opinion, to keep ourselves grounded in faith? Go to the Word of God and pray. Faith is believing and acting on the revealed will of God. How do I know what God wants me to do if I don't know what God has said? If, if I am listening more to radio commentators and, and uh, reading more of, of uh, what is in the newspaper, I don't guess many people read newspapers much anymore, but uh, the equivalent of it, Mm -hmm. rather than knowing what the word of God says. And don't take it by that, that I'm, I'm opposed to being in touch with what's going on in the world around us. But that, that dares not be our main consideration, especially when we are dealing with matters of faith. Faith comes from hearing the word of God. If we don't have God's word in our hearts, in our minds, we're sitting ducks for trouble. We're sitting ducks for believing the wrong thing. We need mm -hmm. to go to the word and we need to ask for his particular guidance for us in, in our situation. When we're going through something, it seems like it lasts forever. If you're sick, you've been sick forever and you're going to be sick forever. But that's not so. We, we get caught up in, in that kind of thing. It's, a, it's the same thing that, that makes people think they're going to be rich forever or they're going to be poor forever. But things change. And if we allow that kind of thinking to, to cause us to, to throw up our hands and say, what's the use? Well, if you'll go to the word of God, you'll find places where people in there were saying, I was envious of the wicked. They never seem to have any problems. And here I am facing trouble all the time. My steps were almost gone. My foot was well nigh, or my feet had almost slipped. My, I was almost gone. And then I went to the house of the Lord. Now, I know we can't go to the house of the Lord now, but that's symbolic, that, that going to that location is symbolic of the whole thing of praying, of reading. Meeting God, yeah. Meeting with God. So if I can add to what you're saying, Brother Moss. Sure. It sounds like a lot of it is, it has to do with perspective, doesn't it? Oh, definitely. definitely. Yeah. I, I, I remember a time I, I was out of work in Bartlesville and Sister Moss and I had not been married all that long. And uh, it, that was a time when uh, a man could, could take good care of a family for $6,000 a year. <laughs> that was a little while ago. Huh? I'm an old man. <laughs> And well, 500 bucks a month, you could take care of your family well. You could take care of well and save money. 
and yeah. save money. And okay. save money. Yeah. That definitely cannot be done today, Dad. Uh, I can tell you that. I understand sure. that. 500 bucks a I month will not let you take care of your family. I can't even feed my family on 500 bucks <laughs> a month. The Lugos don't live on $500 a month just on groceries. Well, I, I don't either. But but here's the point. We were, we were, I was out of a job. I did not have, at that point, good prospects. I was, I foolishly thought maybe the Lord wanted me to go full time. Well, there wasn't there wasn't enough income. Uh, if somebody said if it had been cotton, I couldn't have wadded a shotgun. Uh, but the, at that time, I had an offer back in Texas for a job that would have paid me easily $25,000 a year. So for that time, I mean, that's, that's that four times the amount of what you needed to live comfortably. It was a lot of money for that time period. So I went walking along the railroad tracks that basically surrounded our church. And I resigned as pastor in Bartlesville. And I told the Lord, you've called the wrong man. I can't do this. I'll leave. Get somebody that can do it. And I'll go to Texas and I'll take that job. And I'll uh, choke up even thinking about it now. And I'll send enough money back that this church will never again be in need for money. And as I was walking and, and making my resignation declaration to the Lord, it wasn't an audible voice, but it was real plain, just the same. Uh, he spoke to me and said, I've got all the money I need. What I need is someone who will go where I send them and do what I told them. Hmm. Well, that's the last time I resigned until uh, 40 some odd years later. When you retired, you well, didn't resign. There's a difference there. <laughs> well, and... Uh, I've, you know, now the next part of the story is supposed to be that I go back home and look in the mailbox and there's a check and all, but that, that didn't work. There never was a big check, but I got a job paying minimum wage and uh, somehow when I left the, the net worth of the church that I left behind uh, cash and properties and all of that was north of three quarters of a million dollars. Wonderful. God came through. And sometimes you just have, sometimes he has to goad us a little bit to get us to stay, but you just have to keep walking with him. That's what Enoch did. He walked with God and that was enough. Mm. Mm. Excellent. Thank you so much. Let's go to our next question. And by the way, I'm looking at the chat and the questions are slowing down. And so if you have any questions that you would like to submit tonight, doesn't sound like we've stumped Brother Moss yet. But if anybody has a faith related question that they would like to bring up tonight, 
go ahead and put that in the chat features. Just proceed your comment with the word question so we know you're asking a question. Here's the next one for you. It says, question, can we describe works of faith as simply doing what God directs us to do? Is that a work of faith, just doing what God directs us to do? That's a pretty good definition. Believing and acting on the revealed will of God. And God reveals his will in the Bible and to us directly. As I mentioned, I was called by a vision to go to Bartlesville. You won't find that anywhere in the Bible. There were others called other places, but not to Bartlesville. Right. So, yeah, right. doing doing what we, we're supposed to do, that's an act of faith. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And faith is not just simply doing an action. It's doing an action based on what God has revealed. Now, faith is not, the acts of faith are not busy work. It's, it's something directed by God. And though I was called by, as I said, by a vision to Bartlesville, someone doesn't have to be called to a particular place by a vision or an audible voice or anything like that. We've, we've already got a commandment in Matthew 28, 19, go make disciples, teach yeah. disciple. Right. right. That's the will of God. That's faith. So, if I can tag on to this, this is not where the question went, but you bring up an excellent point, something for us to remember just in our walk with Christ, that it doesn't take a special revelation from God, some special direction from God, just to be obedient to what Scripture already commands us to do. And when we're obedient to what Scripture commands us to do, we are operating in faith. We're taking action based on what God has revealed. Yes, and if you'll notice uh, throughout the scriptures that quite often, almost exclusively, God called people who were already busy. They mm -hmm. were already doing something. They were already doing something. Mm -hmm. He called them to something else. Uh, several years ago, we had a, a time when I... By the grace of God, I, I was allowed to work with a bunch of hippies. Now, that dates it, of course. Uh, mm -hmm. But but uh, in one year, I believe I baptized close to maybe a little bit over four dozen uh, young oh, people, wow. high school and college age. Mm -hmm. And one of them uh, lived near the church. And uh, he had moved there from, from another state. And I went and, and visited with him since he was close. And we were just talking. He was sitting in his front yard trying to tune a 12-string guitar that uh, had a broken neck. He didn't know the neck was broken, just cracked. And so it was never going to be tuned and holded. And uh, I asked him about uh, his possibility of, of finding work. Well, uh, like a lot of others, he was, he was going to try next Monday. And, uh, you know. Meaning I'll, I'll get to it later. Get yeah. to it later. And uh, I, I mentioned to him, I, I told him, you need to get a job of getting a job. You need to spend eight hours a day 
out on the streets, going from place to place, looking for a job. I said, you're not from around here. Nobody knows you. And nobody is going to come knocking on your door asking you to go to work for them. Your parents don't live here. They've got no, nobody has connection to you. You're going to have to go look for it. Mm -hmm. He took the advice and within a week had a job. God calls busy people, people who are busy looking for a job, get one. People who are busy looking for a job in the kingdom and doing what is possible to them, they get jobs in the kingdom. There's a great little nugget for our young people to take away, huh? When God called uh, Paul and Barnabas, or Barnabas and Saul, to go on their first great missionary journey, they were not sipping orange juice under the trees. They were busy working in the church in Antioch. They were already busy with what was at hand, and then God called them to something special. Hmm. If you're waiting for your big opportunity, it's dressed in work clothes. It's dressed in work clothes. Did you catch that? If you're waiting for your big opportunity, it's dressed in work clothes. Excellent response. Let's go to the next question. Desi, before you go on, I'd just like to draw a particular attention. I hope our developing leaders that are on the broadcast, uh, that is another quote you can put right alongside of that servanthood includes feet, water, a towel, and a bent back. That's another way to put it, that if you're looking for an opportunity to serve, it's dressed in work clothes. That's a great quote, Dad. Here's the next question for you. Is having a lack of faith at times a sin? A sin? Now, that's an interesting question. Uh, sin is defined as missing the mark. Uh, I wouldn't think that this would be in that category. I have an instance in the scripture of a man who came not to Jesus because Jesus wasn't there at the time, but he had a, a, a son who had some real major problems, possessed of a demon, and brought him to the disciples, and they could not cast the demon out. I don't think those disciples were sinners in, in, that, in our usual thinking of that word. Mm -hmm. And then when Jesus showed up and, and asked the man, would you have this boy delivered? What do you want? Do you want him? And, and the man answered with the classic, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. And Jesus did not rebuke him. He healed the boy. Mm-hmm. 
I'm so glad that story's in the Gospels. Oh, yeah. And and I notice in uh, Hebrews 11 and 7, which I referred to this evening, Noah moved with fear in his building of the ark. He was afraid. Now, I don't know what he was afraid of for sure, mm-hmm. but you could define fear as having a lack of faith. And if that's so, then we're all sinning in that way because we all at some times are afraid of what is set before us. In fact, the Lord will continually bring us to the place where we are faced with things that make us afraid and make us say, help my unbelief. Mm -hmm. So I I don't think we're, we're looking at something to feel condemned about. And by the way, how do you know whether you have enough faith? Try it out, put it to work, get in there and get started. It may be more faith than you think it is. Jesus let his disciples know that mustard seeds plenty. Excellent answer. Thank you. We're wrapping up the hour here, but let's see if we can squeeze in another one. It says, can taking a step of faith simply be stepping out of your comfort zone? And if that's so, can taking a step of faith also be within your comfort zone? So when we step out of our comfort zone, is that taking a step of faith? Is it possible to take a step of faith and still feel quote unquote comfortable? I'm not sure that I've ever felt comfortable taking a step of faith. Most most of the things I've been directed to do, challenged to do, were way outside my comfort zone. Think of your, again, I, I go back, 22 years old, had the Holy Ghost less than four years, less than $300 in my pocket, been preaching about three years, and God calls me to leave a place where I'm working as an assistant pastor and go start a church. I hardly, I'm still in a learning phase and God stirs up the nest and kicks me out and I've got to fly or fall. And by the way, I did both. And were you comfortable with moving to Bartlesville and doing all of that? Not at all. Not at all. I'd never done anything like that. I, I, hadn't, I had no idea where to start. Do you teach Bible studies or do you get a building? If you get a building, how do you pay for it? If you get Bible studies, how do you get Bible studies in a place where nobody knows who you are? It was, it was very, very uncomfortable. And, and most of the jobs that I've had in relation to the, the work of God in the church, there's a learning curve and it's uncomfortable. And, and you're looking at one of the uh, biggest doubters that there is about whether I can do the job or not. But, uh, it, it may be that there is, is uh, step, steps of faith that we can take inside our comfort zone, but doesn't faith talk about things that are not seen and uh, we just hope for? That, 
that sounds like something that we don't have experience with. That sounds like something, something we're maybe even a little unsure of, well, and yet we choose to act. But if if we know it, if we're comfortable with it, how is that faith? We already know this. Faith is out, out there. Right, right. So almost by default, the idea to, to use that expression, stepping out in faith, involves doing something we're uncomfortable with because we don't already know the outcome. I, I would say that, that most of the time, a great majority of the time, that that would absolutely be true. I, I can't think of an instance, but I, I don't want to be dogmatic about that. It's got to be. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for presenting our live Bible study tonight and being willing to take and answer some of these questions. I do know with my children, they submitted one question. Now, I will readily admit this is a bit bias, and I have no idea how this relates to faith whatsoever. I think they're just trying to wheedle something in right at the last minute, and they're asking, Brother Moss, did you take a step of faith, and have you created a sock puppet yet? I have not created a sock puppet. It may be beyond my capabilities. I'm not I, sure what that has to do with faith, but more I thought right over here. You do have your little church mouse. Yeah. <laughs> wait well, a minute. Hey, wait a minute. He was supposed to have taken a ride in my satchel back to the church. I wonder how he got back to the Brother Mosses. Oh, we may have a story continuity issue. We may have a story continuity issue. <laughs> Tell him where your satchel was. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I told Brother Moss that he had actually lied because that day when we videoed, I didn't have a satchel. <laughs> oh, but it was already in the script. <laughs> yep. So it, it's what you, you worked with what you got, huh? Work with what I've got. Well, to our Newark family, we thank you once again for joining us. We're so glad to have you on our evening broadcast. And we want to remind you that every night we can be found at 7 p.m. And you can find us on Facebook or on YouTube or for Wednesdays and Fridays. You can join us live at 7 p.m. this upcoming Friday. We have another special guest speaker coming up. You don't want to miss that.